One, two, three, four. Okay, that's working. And how that's working ones, too. How hmm? How many what? How many, how many ones have you done? This is uh, my fourth. Oh, cool. Uh, and I'm, I'm hoping they'll give me tips, the guys. The, so the podcast community, what they tend to do is you have them on and they decide you're actually for the new guy. And then they'll have you on and uh, promote you. And that's pretty much just how it goes. Ta-da! Okay, one last recording thing. Oh, I only have a mic. No, I have two mics. What am I doing? Okay. <clears throat> And what are you super uber duper freaking passionate about? Ah, uh, uber super duper. Uber duper could Say that I'm I'm pretty passionate about traveling. Because I've been doing it for for a year and a half now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always wanted to do that. Uh, so yeah, that's one thing that I'm I'm really passionate about. Uh, yeah, I'm really passionate about like what I do. Like I really like programming. I've been doing this since I was 14, mm. so it's been now like 30 years now that I've been doing this. All right, here we go. Jump down. No, no, don't don't do that on me now. I thought we were doing that already. No, no, that, that was, I just wanted, it was the last thing. And is that recording? No, that's playing. Stop. I was in, at the moth. You know the moth? Yeah, it's in, in downtown San Francisco, right? What? What's uh? They do they do have a moth event like moth is like a podcast that NPR puts out, and now they have live events everywhere. And obviously in San Francisco they have one. Every oh, that month. was when you were here last. What was that last month or the month uh, two months ago? What do you mean? It was that. Did you go to the live event a couple of months ago? Is what I mean to say? Uh, no, no, we went to the we went to the live event in New Orleans like a few weeks ago, and I ended up telling a story there. Oh, yeah? What'd you tell? Yeah, it, was just like, it was just like a funny story. That's something that happened to me like a few years ago, like a bunch of years ago. I was still in Brazil back then. And I just told the story. It was fun. I ended up winning the thing. So it, was, it was even more fun. <laughs> you made it. You made it in the fight hole. <laughs> Whoa. Ooh. Looked like you weren't going to make it there for a second. and uh, I'm joined today by uh, a good friend of mine that I've known for a while. His name is Gustavo. And he has got a career in programming. I don't think I could make you any more relaxed. You pretty good, pretty much got it down. Yeah, I'm. I'm lying down here. I'm, I'm too relaxed, maybe. You're too relaxed. Okay, relaxed. if you fall asleep or start snoring, uh, 
can I, do you think I, is there anything I can up and just call you back and put it on my vibrate? Use a horn there. Do you have like a, one of those extra loud horns? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. yeah and one of those. where are you calling to us from tonight? I am in, in uh, Palm Springs, California. Palm Springs, that's in Southern California, about midway between what, LA and the Arizona border? Uh, I'd say so. Yeah, we're near the, the Salton Sea, near Joshua Tree. Yeah, pretty, that, there's windy. Is it, so are you there like uh, enjoying all the resorts? <laughs> uh, no, I, I came here for a uh, meeting for the company. So I work. I work remotely. Like most of my company works. Yes. Somewhere in the U.S. and then we get together every three months. Oh, and dude. Meetings and, and and hang out with each other. And and is uh, what's the name of the company or is it? Doximity. Doximity. Is there anything y'all specialize in particular? Yeah, it's a it's a social network for doctors. So if you're a doctor in the U.S., you probably use Doximity. Uh, if you're not a doctor in the U.S., you probably never heard of it. So, and this is this is a, a doctor ne social network. Now, I can't, I'm trying to imagine why doctors would network. I mean, are they allowed to talk shop, or do you, uh, maybe, or is uh, it like yeah. a LinkedIn? You said a LinkedIn, something like that, right? It's a LinkedIn for doctors where they can talk for doctors, so they can they can talk among themselves without. Like all of all of us non doctors uh, listening in, and it's basically about privacy, right? Doctors are very private, hmm. so they they don't want other people like you know talking to them all the time. There are enough problems as it is, enough people like trying to uh, to to get stuff from them. <laughs> is there is there a social media just for? Uh for programmers now you're a programmer right is it a specific programmer is it i i know there's so many things there's use ux front end back end um straight yeah, scripters so, i guess what's how's that breakdown and where do you fall into that yeah i'm a what you would call maybe a mobile programmer or uh ios programmer very more, more specific i do stuff for like iphones and, and ipads that's what i've been uh, doing lately i've done a lot of other different things throughout my career, but that's what I've been uh, specializing lately. And is, is there for this since the iPhone came out, I started uh, programming for the iPhone, and then iPads came out. I started programming for that too, so I've been doing that for I don't know, I think it's been eleven years now. Do people tend to specialize like that, or do you do you branch out and do uh, Android or or anything like that? Most people specialize. There are people who do both, but most people specialize. Being a specialist has its advantages, but there are people that that do both. Now, now you as and I didn't actually know this. We've just hung out this whole time. Apparently, uh, I got here to the bay shortly after you got here in the area, uh, and I just assumed you were like deeply, deeply embedded in the community and some kind of senior elder, the way everyone sort of deferred to you. But I found out they just all thought you were. <laughs> so, really, and I think the that's how, that's, how, that's how I got embedded into the community. I just use my good looks. Yeah, yeah, your your rugged good looks, and you're right now. You're, right now, you're. Uh, I don't know how old are you? Are you my age? 
I am 45. I don't know what your age is. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm much, much younger than you are. <laughs> I think we met the first time when you came over to, or we met at a gathering in the, and then you came over for a spaghetti dinner. Is, is that right? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I came over for a spaghetti dinner with uh, Melissa. Exactly. Yeah, Melissa, she is blowing and going on publishing. You, y'all get to visit much lately? Yeah, I, I met with her last time. I was I was in the Bay Area. Yeah, I tried to get her to come to New Orleans, but she didn't come. What? Okay. I feel like since I came down to San Leandro, like uh, getting to north of Emeryville or over the bridge is, is like going to another state. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's wow, it's crazy. Um, yeah, people in the Bay Area don't like to, to drive a little bit more than like a mile or two. It's crazy. Yeah, but that's just crazy. A bridge, it looks like yeah, it's another state. You're like going over the moon or something. Well, there's so much, there's so much traffic, and there's so many accidents. Sanity. I mean, what was it? Just uh, last last year, we had they had that shootout on I-80. And I happened to be on the road just north of Emeryville where the, they had gotten the shooter and they had a standoff from 9 in the morning until 5 p.m. Everybody who was uh, trapped on the road who didn't exit was stuck on the highway that entire time. Yeah, that makes me glad I'm not in the Bay Area anymore. Thank you. <laughs> I'm here to make you feel better. Um, so, of course, what we're about this is in the fighting hole. Do you, do you understand what in the whole concept of the in the fight and hold? Uh, yes, you have to explain that to me. Yep, so we're in our fighting position. They're in our defensive position. Uh, Army uh, calls it a foxhole. And sometimes, as this as I understand it, because uh, the original title of this show is in the foxhole. And, and uh, my detachment Marines found out about it, and they're Vietnam veterans. And they were like, Marines don't. Don't stay in foxholes or fighting holes. And they really like hard time about it. Uh, so I, I moved it over. And as I just before I moved over the title, found out that foxhole is actually originated by Marines, the Battle of Bella Woods in World War One, where Marines got the uh, nickname Devil Dogs because as they were attacking the Germans, they would go, ow, ow. Interesting bit of history. I didn't know about that. I was just going to ask, what is the foxhole comes from? Oh, so it, you know that. Thank you. It's the most basic defensive position. You know, if you if you don't have shelter, you dig a hole and you get in it. So that's such a a part of combat and the theater of combat, and, and it, it's the basic defensible position. Uh, one, it, 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 you can, it's more survival. Two, of course, you've got somebody in front of you or behind you. You can both watch your six. And when I say six, I'm talking about uh, the hours on the clock. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. And you've got three. You've got a whole field of vision and you can have interlocking fields of fire and basically create a, a hellscape for enemy to traverse before they get to your hole because you don't want them to jump in knives drawn. Uh, and I just thought when when I transitioned and got out of the Marines, it was tough. It was overwhelming. And this is targeted to 
veterans out there that need more help and skills and, and are overwhelmed and don't know where to go. Maybe they're in midlife and, and they want to make a change in careers. And this just affords them an career path about what people are, are uh, into and passionate about and maybe pick up some strategies and some nuggets along the way, you know? Uh, so yeah, that's why I said, be thinking, was there any time in your life when you thought you might've been in a foxhole and, uh, hell, you might be in it now. You could be in a depressed state. You could. Yeah. I like when you explained to me about, about the, the fighting hole, uh, any time that I might've been in a fighting hole. And I think I, I thought about one situation, which I think it's very uh, indicative of how I, I approach whenever I'm in a defensive position or a difficult position or, or, you know, something that, that you need to decide okay. something important in your life. So I think it's, it, it pretty much shows how much that. And this was when I started to, uh, to rock climb. So my, my girlfriend got me into rock climbing and she's been rock climbing for like nine years or something. So I started rock climbing basically in gyms, like indoors, you go to the gym and have the big walls with all the holes. Then, so I started doing that. And at some point we started transitioning to, uh, climbing outside, climbing on, on real rock outside. So I, I've done that like once with her. And then, uh, uh one day we decided to go to uh, Northern California to a place called Lover's Sleep that has a lot of rock climbing there. Lover's Leap? What, 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 what does it, what kind of rock face is it? Is it a sheer face or an incline? Uh, Lover's Leap, as far as I remember, I think it's granite and it's very, it varies a lot. There's like a, it's really, it's not one style of climbing, which is why it's, it's really interesting. I think to climb, uh, it's pretty famous. For rock climbing, you know about lover sleep. Why? Why is it famous? And, I mean, why do they call it? I, I shudder to call or ask why they call it lover sleep. Is it? Is it? Is it pretty? Is that one? Did a pair of lovers? I don't, sleep? I don't know. I don't think that's why it's called lover sleep. But the reason why it's famous is that it's quality rock climbing because it's varied, it's beautiful. The rock, it's it's solid. You know, like there's there's a lot of quality to that. Like it's hard to explain why what is quality climbing. There's a lot lot there, but this is one place that in there. Everybody goes to love it. Uh, and uh, we were doing something that I've never done before outside, which is something called multi pitch climbing. So when you climb, you have your the style of climbing that I do. You're always attached to a rope that is always protecting you from a fall, right? So if you fall, uh, the rope is going to catch you. You have your partner that's always like managing the rope, making sure that you're not going to fall to the ground, that if you fall, you're just going to fall and stay on your rope. So, uh, that's a, is that called a belay? Yeah, exactly. So your, your, your partner is doing belay while you climb. And then if you fall, like your, your partner catches you. So if you have, if your rock is higher than your rope, you have to do something called multi-pitch. So basically, whoever is leading the climb is going to climb first. And whenever you climb the length of the rope, you have to stop. And then you make in, in the middle of the rock. And then your partner follows. And yeah. then when your partner reaches you, you continue climbing up. 
from that position, right? And then you do that as many times as you need to reach the top uh, of your climb. So that's called multi-pitch. Multi-pitch. Uh, yeah. Okay. And I was doing this for the first time, and uh, she's a way better climber than I am. So she was leading every pitch, and I was just following. And uh, I think it was on the second pitch that we were doing that she she led the pitch. She was on not on the top still. She was in the middle of the rock, but in a position that I couldn't see her mm. and I couldn't talk to her. Right, but I'm I'm following and I'm climbing until I can reach her. And at some point, I I reached a reached the point of the rock that I really didn't know how to move forward. Like all the techniques that I had before were not applicable to that situation. How high up were you? Uh, at this point, we're probably around like I don't know, two hundred, three hundred feet. Whoa! And uh, I just didn't know how to continue from that point. Like the rock was pretty like flat, like it wasn't smooth, it still has texture, but it didn't have any place for me to hold on to. It didn't have any place for me to put my feet so I can continue going up. But I, I just didn't know what to do there. And I couldn't go down because the rope wouldn't reach the ground. Even if I could communicate to her, hey, I can't go up anymore, right? I, I couldn't go down anymore. I had no idea how to go up, and is, I couldn't talk to her. I couldn't ask, "What do I do here?" Is there a time uh, time limit, like a standardized, like after five minutes of not moving, they they, they assume you're in trouble, or is that is that like faux pas, and, and they just maybe after an hour they're like, maybe he is stuck. I don't know. It, it was, what's the process on that? Is there anything I'll do? No, there's nothing. There's nothing too much. You usually manage. But not in that situation. Uh, we really couldn't do that. And, uh, so you're literally in a cliffhanger right now. Okay. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure it out. It's like I don't see anything, but I just I just stop and I, I look around and I see what are the possibilities. Can I move sideways and that then there's something, but there's nothing there as well. And I look to my right and there's nothing. I look to my left. There's nothing. And then. Uh, start examining the rock better and I see that there's like a, a slot in the rock which is not exact it's, it's a vertical it's a vertical crack on the rock but it's not not really a crack enough for you to uh, to stick your hand in there but there's a crack on the rock like a, what's called a flare on the rock a flare and then I looked at that and I was like can I can I use this somehow to get me up, make me gain gain this this obstacle here? And then I I managed to figure out something that I learned later that is called lie backing. Lie backing. Basically, you put your hand inside of of this flare, and then you put your foot on the rock, and you use your hand to pull yourself to the rock in such a place that you create like the counter pressure like a, a counter force on the rock hmm. creates friction enough that you can basically walk on the rock even though no. it's pretty much vertical you like hold on to the rock in one way pull yourself into the rock and then you can climb up the rock almost like you're walking on it right and that's that's the the thing that i figured out 
and managed to get out of that situation. And then at, at some point you find the holes that holds and, and you can continue going up. But that was like a very moment for me and a very proud moment because I, I figured out something that, you know, climbers do, but usually like somebody teaches you how to do that and nobody has ever taught me to do that. And then I, I just had to figure that out. I had to figure mm. out the whole physics of of that process by myself there. And, and you were never involved. never in any life threatening danger at this point though, but you, right? And because she had you on, on, on the rope. But so you you learn. Is there many ways that you learn? I mean, somebody if they told you that, would you have gotten it? If they tried to teach it to you, well, what's the way you receive? I think yeah. If somebody was there, they could just say, "Oh, just just do a lie back," and I'm going to say, "What is a lie back?" And then they can they can explain. I just yeah, I just use like a little bit of thought about the physics of the situation, and I thought about like, okay, shit, why not? Right, so she she went over this obstacle here, so she, there is a way, right? She she flew over this thing, so she's pretty she's pretty nimble. When when I was sitting down below y'all at Smith's Rock, it seemed like y'all were practically flying. Yeah, sometimes it looks like she's just flying, but there's always a way, right? There's always a a method. There's always a technique to go to go up and. Yeah, I just had to figure it out, and that that was uh, that was one situation that I think that was in a in a difficult position there. You in a very unfamiliar place for me, like something that I haven't done before, and having to figure it out on the spot. Right, I think that's that kind of shows up what I do in difficult situations. I don't ever think I'm in a fighting position. But for me, like these difficult situations are are pro- problematic positions, right? And as an engineer, I always think about things in terms of this is a problem, and it's the problem that I can solve. Is there a right? certain step process use, or I mean, thinking back on this, did you? It, was there a process that? Oh yeah, actually, it fits the process I've been doing the last several years, or or was it just in the I moment? Think- it's in your gut. It's a gut instinct type thing now. No, I think every situation is different, but there's always a way to look at the problem in a logical way. Right? You can break down the problem into smaller steps sometimes, mm. but mostly you look at the nature of the problem right? and, and mm. then try to figure out how to get out of it in, in using logic and using your you know, your knowledge of the world in this case, like in that case, I use some knowledge of physics, of friction and, and, and force and the forces applied in, in, op- in opposite directions, right? So this is the knowledge that I had to use in, in that, in that place because climbing is all about, about physics. So if you understand physics, you're going to know what to, the way I, I look at problems are like you try to understand the nature of it and then you, you, Sometimes as you study that situation, sometimes you have to else. But right, like, I think there's always a way that you can like, figure out this your situation. Like a difficult situation is just a problem that you need to solve. Software engineering, a problem solving career and profession. Is it because why? Why is it they call uh, programming engineering? 
because it, it, it has all the same elements of engineering. Like if, if the concepts of engineering that you're telling there, they're all about uh, like civil engineering, mm-hmm. all other kinds of engineering, like mechanical engineering, electrical engineering. And it's all about understanding what the problem is, what are the tools that you have to use to solve this problem, what is the kind of, uh, what is this, uh, what is the, the science that you have to apply here, right? Engineering is, is applied science. So you, in software engineering has the same, has, you have to break down your problems, you have to understand your tools, you have to plan for it. Right. Uh, right. Software engineering is not is nowadays is super complicated feel like every problem that we have is really, really complicated and involves a lot of moving pieces. So you have to figure out what are the best ways to join all these pieces together and make them work and make, make them work reliably. Like these are all engineering problems. Mm. Like trying to figure out the best way to do something is an engineering problem. So I've always seen engineering not as a, as a, I don't know, not as a profession. I see more engineering as a, uh, not a character trait, but engineering is more like a a mentality. Like I know a lot Mm. of people that have engineering degrees that I don't think are engineers. And I know a lot of people that don't have engineering degrees. that are definitely engineers. I think it's just like the way that you think about solving problems in a logical way. Step oriented, correct? Sorry, it's 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 very step oriented. I mean, there's, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. so when you're figuring out or engineering a pro- new problem that nobody's addressed from whatever perspective, y'all are whiteboarding it, as I understand, or you're w- working out the problem uh, visually and spatially between yourselves, and then you decide upon a structure or architecture uh, to try and deploy the answer to whatever question y'all are trying to solve. Is that yeah, you have to be very pragmatic, you know, you like, you know, plan and then execute it and then test your, your results to see if they were, uh, if they're working according to all your premises and according to all your requirements, right? But it's a very, very pragmatic field. When did you know you wanted to be in this field? I mean, everybody I knew when I was a kid, would get into computers just because they were cool. And you were in Sao Paulo, Gustavo's from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh, before I got to New York I, a state, I thought the whole state was like New York until I drove through it and realized there was backwoods. And I, for a long time, thought that most of Brazil was jungle, except for the coasts. Yeah, no. Yeah, Sao so Paulo is the, one of the largest cities in the world. I don't, I think it's larger than any city in the U.S., it might not be larger than, I don't know, LA or something, but like it has 20 million people in, in one city. It's huge. It has like huge traffic is one of the, is the, the largest financial center in, uh, South America for sure. But it's not a metropolitan city, like not, nothing like, like a jungle. The jungles <laughs> are way far from us. <laughs> I know like 15 years ago, uh, Shanghai. Uh, it was supposed to be the most populous or one of uh, the most populous city in the world at 24 million, which is roughly the entire population of New Mexico. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So 20 million would be huge. Yeah. It's a, it's a huge city. Like traffic is in 
and crime is insane. Yeah, but you know, it's uh, the, the people are are awesome there. Like my countrymen are are happy people despite all those problems. I've had one friend from Brazil. He played for the national soccer team. What was it like? What do, were you always tinkering around with things? Did you get in trouble for dismantling things, or how did you? How how did you figuring that out? I think I always wanted to take things apart. I always wanted to take things apart and put them back together, or just put them put stuff, random stuff together to make something different. So I, in a, in a sense, when I was a kid, I already knew that I wanted to be an engineer of some sort. And uh, at some point, I don't remember why I started tinkering with uh, electronics. Uh, I think you said something about your dad had a computer. Yeah. And at some point, my dad bought a computer for his business. He had a hardware store back in Brazil, and he bought a computer to take care of, like, inventory and, you know, cash flow and all that kind of stuff. And he bought the computer, but he brought it home first. That was his mistake. And uh, (laughs) I saw that, and I was like, hey, can can I play with it for a while? And he was like, yeah, sure. Like, if you can put it together. And then, yeah, I put it together, started playing with it. And uh, I was like, hey, can I can I keep this? <laughs> and he was like, all right, I'll get another one for the store. And then I started playing with it. And I had some friends who already uh, knew something about computers, and they helped me out. Were you the first kid on your uh, block to have a computer? No, I wasn't the first kid on my block to have a computer. I had, like, I don't know, maybe three or four friends that, that had computers, too. And, uh, yeah, they... They helped me out with the basics, and then, I don't know, I started programming because there was not a lot of stuff to do with computers, especially back in Brazil. Like, there was no, like, you know, go buy a game or or an app or anything like that. So then I started, like, okay, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll have to uh, program it for myself, and I started doing that. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You did it all by yourself? I mean, did you... Uh, do, do, did you just go read in the library or did you just start plucking around? But, but how did you do it by yourself? I started like just reading some books that I could find and just playing around with it really and seeing what happens, kind of like trial and error sometimes. And things I was as you go along and building small things. What was like, your first I program? I, I made something to keep track of all my CDs back into the hay. So that was your first program? Uh, man, I have to remember what my first program is. I think my first, first program was came from the back of a magazine that I typed the whole code for to, uh, to make a Donkey Kong. What? You made Donkey Kong? Make Donkey Kong? Yeah, I, I mean, like on your computer. I just, yeah, I just typed the program and then I ran a Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong. So it's, it's, I think it, that was the moment where it's like, you know, this is kind of like magic for me. Like, you know, when you when you can tell this machine what to do, and this machine does it, and then you can see it on the screen, this thing that, you know, didn't exist an hour ago, right? So... Is it ever like green slants and, and circles rolling around? Yeah. I think for me, that was, that's the thing. It's, it's almost like you're creating something from nothing. 
right? Like this, you have all that complicated circuitry inside, but you know, from from the programmer's perspective, it's almost getting something out of nowhere, right? You you have this blank slate that is the the computer, and then you start computer what you do, and, and then all of a sudden, bam, you have this creation in, in front of you that that didn't exist an hour ago. And, and all it's doing essentially is, I mean, the one thing that has confused me the most about programming and granted, I, I'm, I don't know a lot is you're writing these words. Uh, so each letter, does each letter have a one and zero designation? And in those combinations, it triggers something electrons to move. What is the magic? Tell us, well, Gustavo, uh, what is the magic? I think the basics of it is they're very complicated and it's, it's hard to explain over audio. Like there's the, the very basics of, of how a computer works are very, very complicated. It has to do with electricity and, and switches going from, from one okay. place to the other and the computer just like. Okay, well, heck with the audience. I, I'm, I'm curious about this because I, I was an electrician in the Marines, and I know the only two things that can be wrong with uh, electronic devices, an open or a short, and essentially that's all that's wrong with it. And it's controlling the flow of electrons to produce a certain milliamp or watt hour and resistors uh, to, to cut back the power along the path so it doesn't fry the next component that performs the next function. Now, I get that, but when we're talking about programming where you're writing words and, it, and, and it's not like you're ordering it, a, a certain resistor on and another capacitor to only operate at half, half power, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's, but, but in, in, in the end, it's almost the same thing. It's just way more complicated, right? Like if you get, it's basically getting, a million of those things that you're talking about the and bits. putting them together and have and then you have to just tell them okay like go go to the left go to the right like open this circuit here close that circuit here now like on the very basic level that's that's all that is there's all like it's a bunch of switches that are opening or closing and that changes the behavior of the electrons that are going to go to the next switch that's going to be open or closed right oh. so it's it's basically it but you you multiply that by a million and then you have this complex machine doing complex things okay let me straight if, if i'm understanding you correctly if not then then uh you'll owe me money or something so let's say you, you've just got a board full of switches that you can either make them open or closed right if i understand you correctly it's only an open or closed switches that you're throwing but you, let's say you start with one, open, close, open, close, but then you're triggering all these different ones to release in certain waves. And in a sense, you're creating a symphony of movement with gates. Yeah. That, that you know, create a desired you know, result. Basic level, that's kind of it. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. But, but modern programmers don't think like that anymore, right? Like this, at some point, you I was I felt really good about myself there like for a that. second. What? <laughs> I felt I was feeling really good about myself there for a second. Thank you, Gustav. It, it is what it is. <laughs> but like this is like that people had to program it like that, like way, way back in the beginning of programming. But like 
modern programmers don't don't have to think like that anymore luckily and what a modern programmer does like we learn a programming language and as every language is a way to communicate your your intent communicate something so it's a way to communicate to the computer what you want the computer to do right and different languages have different this but the good languages try to make this in a way which is similar to natural language almost right so you, you can write like if you read a a uh, computer program like you can understand the words there like it's not going to be something completely unreadable to you mm -hmm. like we use words like if then else do and right so there's all words and then we, we try to like different programming languages do it in different ways but it tries to be natural it tries to read it in a natural language way right so you can tell the computer like if i'm pressing the enter key then you know go to the next line something like that and, right and, like and this is something that every 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 word like you know in inside of the word uh program i'm sure this line is there right if, if i press the enter key go to the next line right it's things like that 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 you do and you tell the computer what you want the computer to do for you now i'm i am taking a course that i've mentioned a couple of times on the show uh and it's it's a completely free to all veterans and it's called fed vte so the federal virtual training ed education program and uh it starts with the most basic and certifies you through homeland security and then goes to the most complex and as i understand it reminds me of when i did my basic basic training on my apple IIe back in 1984 with the two floppy drives but it, it a you're creating a function. A function is a set of instructions uh, that fire based on a command. So you gather different functions together and fire them on, but using different commands. And that creates a level of eloquence. Like the basic language was a basic, you tell it turn left, it turns It's waiting until you turn it, tell it to turn right and move forward. And and in as the con um, as languages, if I've got to understand this, correct me if I'm wrong. As the languages got more complex, uh, and, and more uh, eloquent, right? Then, then it, uh, it 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 basically there there were waves that would come through. So you didn't have to give every command. It was coming. I think of a different way of putting it. When when a truck driver is going and delivering a load. You don't want him to just drive back empty. He has you, what you want him ideally to do is have another job that will load him up where he's at and he drives back loaded. So he, he goes both ways with information or, or with packages and you're able to set up a language to where it knows it's always picking up efficient with the movement from point A to point B. Is that close? I mean, I'm an amateur. I'm a rank amateur. Um, yeah, I don't know if that, that analogy works. Is there a better um, one? Let me think about it. Like, I think more, the modern programming languages, the way, like, we still have functions, right? Functions are ways for you to encapsulate some work into, in, into a block that it's easy for you to just say, 
like, I don't know, for example, something, uh, blinks text in, in front of your screen, Yeah. right? You can have a function that says blink text here. And then if you have 10 places that you have to blink text, text, you don't have to rewrite all the instructions that tell the computer to blink text. You can only, you can call this function 10 times. So it simplifies the way that you, uh, write a code, right? So create like shortcuts for your, uh, for your, for your program. But I think the way that the, the modern programming languages just, I think they make it easier to write and read code. That's one of the goal when you create a new language is to make it easier to read and to write code. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they make them safer or so makes it harder to, uh, your app, if, uh, if the programmer makes a mistake, it's, it's harder to crash the app. There's also security implications and it makes it harder to, to hack your app, right? So modern programming languages are trying to solve all these problems. And then on top of that, they're trying to make it easier to write more complex programs. So solve more complex problems in easier and manageable ways, right? Because it's, to solve a very complex problem, right? You need to break break down this complex problem into shorter, but in the, into smaller chunks and put them all together in a way that's still going to make it work. So that's something that modern programming languages are trying to solve. But I think one one goal is always to try to make it easier to to program, easier to understand, easier to write. Well, how do how do you do do in, in each language? Or, or uh, growth, actually, I don't know. I, you know, I got into GitHub when I was learning to do all this stuff to get me to podcasting, and I, I didn't know what else to do. So I, uh, one of the admins and just kind of told them, but I didn't say it right. And I think they read it and they messaged me. They were like, uh, yeah, you're in the wrong place. But I looked around and there was all these, it, it almost seemed like a priesthood of, of code. Uh, like they were talking about uh, schisms and, uh, the great schism of 1984. There's only been five, and you don't works that don't recombine. It seemed very esoteric. I, I don't understand how you write a new language. Does it absorb the baseline architectural structure of logic, and then uh, uh, launch off that. I mean, what, what determines a language that's successful? If, why would you make up a language and, and how you can go about that? Why would, uh, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I think it, it varies because I think also the nature of problems that nowadays, uh, require different tools, right? I think it's the same. Like if, if you think about like carpentry, for example, right? If to build, a, you're going to need a, a, a set of tools and to build like a, a, a closet, you're going to reuse some of those tools, but there are some tools you're going to need that are different than that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's kind of like any on your problem, you're going to need a different set of tools. Well, you know, so I that's do. How, why you need more than one programming language? That's why, like, some somebody's going to create a new programming language because now you have 
you have a problem that you never had before and you don't have a tool to solve that. So then you go and you create your own tool, right? And thinking about like carpentry or mechanics, right? Like and looking at the assortment of tools that we created and still create to this day, right? I think in programming is the same thing. You sometimes that it, it's not, you know, the tools that are out there are not suited for that problem. They might solve it, but in a complicated way, right? And you need to create something that makes it simpler to solve that problem. Tool. And, and these are programming languages are tools. And these are these are structures or architectures of logic, uh, logical instruction, a chain reaction, and they go and call and get data or information to be able to fulfill the call or the instruction in different locations. So like like I said to me, it just sounds like it's a big symphony of instructions uh, that fire at once or at different times. Uh, I, I'm the one I understand most and best is that I don't, maybe that nobody's using it. I don't know HP and I can look at it and understand that what I'm doing is basically taking things that do X, Y, and Z and, and putting them in series to affect a certain thing. I'm so basic. I'm just like, putting in snippets of code that can be seen by an app or a vendor so it can verify an identity. I can do that generally without crashing uh, the internet. Uh, I hope to crash the internet someday. <laughs> I mean, what is the most common thing that would make a logic structure crash? Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, different logic structure crash, but for one very simple example. Let's say that you're building a uh, a calculator, and you're telling the the user that or you can ask the user what operation do you want to do. I want to add, subtract, multiply, or divide. And the user can say divide, and then you say okay, enter your your denominator, and then you enter. The user can enter any number. Divisor. You can use any number, right? So if you tell if the user tells I want to divide zero by zero, right? Zero by zero doesn't exist in mathematics, right? It's, it's, an, it's, it's an impossibility. It doesn't exist. So because that is a non-defined operation for a computer, most computers, most programs, they're just going to crash your computer. They don't know how to proceed from there. Unless you think right. of that and, and, and make an operation that if somebody were to, oh, God, put that in, it'll redirect it, or it, it's just exactly. impossible to think of everything. They might say so, banana divided by apple core. Yeah, so the programmer has to think about these things, right? So that's the thing that if the programmer doesn't think about, oh, the user can enter zero and zero here, and then, you know, if you think about it logically, the computer... If you tell the computer, okay, divide zero, add one to it, the computer doesn't know what that is. Like, the, there isn't such a thing in the world as dividing something just by zero. So the computer being a logic beast is going to say, I don't know what this is, I give up, right? Which is the, the right thing to do for a, for a logic machine. In this case, like, the programmer needs to come in and insert it into the program saying, okay, zero here. I have to tell the user, I cannot do that operation. 
right? You you can't tell the computer to have that responsibility. Mm-hmm. There's, this is your responsibility as a programmer to know that this is something that is an impossibility, so I have to prevent the user from doing this. Or I have to tell the user, hey, you can't divide something by zero, right? So kind of thing is something that if you don't, if you're not careful, you can write a program that you can test it and it works for you, but then some smart app and tries to divide something by zero to see what happens and your app is just going to crash, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that, I, when you said smart ass, I couldn't help but think about, I, I had a friend who was into programming, uh, but he read a lot and he, he looked at me and goes, do you want to hear what I named my computer? And I said, what? And he, he, he goes, by. Well, you got to look at it and read it. So we call these wax and okay. 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 And I go, patty whack. Yes. I need to patty whack. Like, oh God, you're so dorky. So is, is it, and I don't know how often beaten track this is, but I have been keeping track. I don't, you've heard of quantum computing, of course, right? Especially. Yeah. And that now I understand that we work in ones and zeros and that quantum computing creates a, a virtual outside of the physical one, or at least taps those based on calculations of what may be possible. But having a, a system that can maintain a stable uh, running resource uh possibilities is what they're trying to get like it's only 98 percent stable all the time what i'm curious about is how it, is that supposed to change thing because it's just it's instead of using ones and zeros it's using double digits yeah is that right? i don't know i don't i don't know enough about quantum computing to know why it's, again, I think it's going to be a, a different tool to solve different problems. It made my brain hurt. I could I read about it first in Omni Magazine, and I just couldn't understand. Basically, it's using the computing power of possible potential computer processors that may or may not exist uh, without actually specifying or attempting to measure them because then they're fixed, and it can no longer process based on the potential possible computers because by the mere fact of measuring it or locating it in space, you've just lost all the other computing power. Yeah, no idea. Oh you lost me there like a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I've always been yeah. really interested in it. I just, I, 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 there's no way I can get into it deep enough to, to be fulfilling. The thing that got, uh, might keep, has kept me out of, uh, it's completely distracted me is, is like trying to find a way to get uh, plugins and programs and functions to fit together to create something that I can go look what that did at whatever. And I don't know why that's satisfying, but it is on some level, but I, I, I'll never make a living on it like you do that to many of us, that seems like magic. Yeah. I think that's the, that's, that was the appeal to me. Like, it almost looks like magic, right? It's creating something out of nothing. Like, like you said, like you, you just write something and then you have something on a web page. You have something that somebody can look at, somebody can play with. For me, is the is the the wonderful part of it, mm-hmm. creating something out of nothing. And and also, I think the other part of the appeal is that it, having this machine that is always going to do what you tell it to do. 
doesn't it doesn't judge you it doesn't like think about it right it's not gonna say no i'm not gonna do this right like the machine is gonna do what you tell it to do so what, what about ai it's not gonna deviate from that what do you feel how do you feel about ai i mean interested in what's the most pressing problem today or, or do you just is it just what you do and it enables you to live your life the way you want to live it i mean how do you feel about that uh about ai in particular in the state of programming do you have any opinions or is it just your means to live your lifestyle uh yeah now it's a mean for me to live my life and and like you know the it still makes me happy whenever I, I see something that I that I built uh, come to life. It makes me really happy if I see somebody that I don't know using it, right, and 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 liking it and enjoying it. Like my job was in a, it was in gaming. I was building games for, for iPhones, and it's always great to see somebody play your game and enjoy it. Your your I think when I met you was Age of Dragons, is that right? Or Dragons? Yeah, and were you the only? You, there were a team of y'all that put that together. Uh, sorry. There was a team of y'all, or was that all your baby? No, no, it was a big team. I was, uh, yeah, I came in. It was already started, but yeah, I I was there when we launched, and I was there for like a, a and at some point we had, I think over 10 engineers working on on the project wow. at least yes this is one thing i did want to have because i don't i'm in i'm in the bay area the odds of me being able to get too many uh programmers on the phone and keep anybody that uh, uh, anybody interested a long time to be in this esoteric stuff is probably slim so but i am interested in they had a, a npr talking about the very real and likely possibility eight years most people's jobs current jobs will be automated and run by ai and what are we going to do and is is it possible that ai can program itself and in the basic programming jobs will be lost or is it going to grow i think i think it's possible very far from that uh, i thought we were far away from a, a barack obama in the office too at, at one point pretty pleasantly yeah but I, I think for i'm not that worried about that i know that there are other jobs that will be automated for sure right yeah. uh, most of the work i did in transportation dispatch anything yeah, that can I use think, an algorithm i'm doomed i mean truck truck drivers are going to be trouble in like five to ten years like it's uh, what else? All these trucks are going to drive themselves. And Stockbrokers are be, out of uh, out of a job, right? And like, oh god, it could be so many things. Uh, processing orders. Yeah. What page building? Yeah, you know, one that's going to be uh, that might be automated soon. What's that? That it's kind of surprising, like because a lot of people think that uh, things that are going to be automated are skill uh, tasks, but that's not true. I think I was listening about uh, there's an interesting Democratic candidate out there called Andrew Yang, and he's all about 
like trying to solve this problem that automation is going to take a bunch of jobs away what are we going to do about this and one of the things that he mentions is that radiologists are going to be out of a job because a machine can look at a at an x-ray and it can look at reference it back thousands and thousands of other x-rays that i've seen before and a radiologist radiologists can only remember about a hundred of them and also the machine can see more shades of gray than we can so a machine can do the job of a radiologist way better than a radiologist can but see that's not way better now but it will in a be better than than a human radiologist so so say we uh convince ourselves that our robotic overlords are really our our servants for the next 200 years and and what's that how do we preserve those skills that have been replaced by ai without you know what i'm saying without having to reinvent everything all over again i mean ones right this is the how how many professions can you think of is that like, even maybe 10 years ago that don't exist anymore Right. I remember a time where you needed somebody in your elevator to like go from floor to floor. Right? There was somebody in the elevator that was responsible for operating the elevator. When's the last time you saw that? They still have people right? in Oregon that, that pump your gas for you. Huh? They still have people in Oregon that pump your gas for you. Yeah, but that's another thing. Like in Brazil that still happens, but in Brazil it happens only because of the of 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 their uh they have a they have a strong union. But you know, in in the U.S., most places, if you don't have a law, right, it, those people don't exist anymore. People that right, uh, and there's a lot of other professions that you can think about, like you know, they they don't exist anymore. Yeah, it's it's, so, it's frightening to think about what's going to because. It, of the main things, and we're getting—I'm sure you need to sleep—but I mean, I've really been into the last uh, several minutes, twenty minutes, something like that. Anyway, is communication and bridging the gap, and and that I could tell it's going to be one of those themes that goes through this show. Is there's technology is driving this gap that is expanding faster than than the elderly. Uh, folks can keep up with they don't want to be on a phone all the time like be ready for a meeting at any moment that you know they grew up in a different world at at what point does the gap between 20-year groups of people become so wide as as to mean we're the islands separated by a chasm that we can't breach we can't pass through or, or, or communicate people on the island but they don't understand this yeah i don't know but i think it's always been like that right i think in one way or another the the technology changes but i think we always have that this this island situation we always have you know younger people doing different things than than older people and older people tend to resist than than younger people i think it's always been like that Right. We, we just keep the cycle over and over again. 
So I don't I don't think this is something new. I think maybe the acceleration feels a little bit more right now. It feels that it's speeding up more and more. And maybe that's true. Maybe it's just our perception of it. Right? I don't I, I, well, think I just want to know if I'm gonna be soylent green after sixty five years of age or not. Because I've known I wanna know if I know you they when they retire me retirement or or am I going to walk into uh, uh, a retirement home and become soylent green? I don't know if you're familiar with the sci-fi uh, novel that essentially they turned all of the uh, uh, elderly into uh, this organic juice that they then sold to the young people. Pretty gross. It's coming. Yeah, I went to a dark place. Bring me back, uh, please, Gustavo. Yeah, let's let's go back to more of a positive side. So I think that uh, one of the things that I was going to mention, you, you mentioned there that you uh, there was a program that was free for for veterans that you were doing. Yes. So I I'm not familiar with that, so I I can't speak for how good or how good it is. Oh, I'm self-taught. There's a help menu, and I just read and hammer my head at it until I figured out anything. It's like working on your car. If you use logic on an engine and are precise and careful about your steps and identifying each part, you can figure anything out uh, with uh, some brief instructions and then do it backwards. The more you do it and repeat it, the, the more it sticks in your head. There's so many resources. I mean, I've got so many interactive programming and learning apps on my phone that it easiest without uh, 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 patronizing your intelligence is going to be we, we don't have it yet That I guess that app hasn't been invented yet the one to rule them all yeah so for, for programming if I can suggest please uh, something please uh, if, if you if you want to play with it more if you want to learn more there's a website academy Cold? Well, C-O-D-C-A-D-E-M-Y. Cold Academy. Cold Academy. Code Academy. Code Academy. Code Academy. So Code Academy has like free classes on a lot of programming languages. I would suggest Python. Yeah, it seems to be the hip language now. Yeah, Python is, I think it's pretty easy to learn. Very, I think for me, read it, it. It is very natural. We have the natural flow to it, and it's a language that is. It's really flexible as a build from simple things to very complex systems. So you can build like a, a simple little program to help you organize your photos, for example, to a complex system that can manage. Right, so you can do all that with Python. And it's very simple to understand, I think. And Cold Academy has a bunch of classes and they're very interactive, like you're not gonna be banging your head. Right? You like it's gonna take you step by step and is it, is it free? Show you. It's free. I think right. I, they have paid stuff for sure, but I think at least for the basics it's gonna be free. And I'm sure if you reach out to them they can they can for 
for veterans, like uh, this free program for veterans. I'm sure they would they would be open to something like that. No, no, uh, weird stuff. Uh, you know, like uh, are we in a simulation or um, uh, yeah, the that uh, there may be indications that there is a latent or nascent uh, intelligence that exists within the wide web already. And, and in people's brains, the more they they type on the computer. And, and are we using the computer? Using us. You know? What do you think about things like that? Anything you have credence or, or, or you just, Figure out the code and uh, let the system absorb you. Well, I mean, what, <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> In 1984, they say everyone was attached to the box, the, the black boxes. Everybody worked on it. And had, you know, it always listened. It was always watching. Man, you're too lost. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We've been, see, there's a lot of people who feel that way about programming. <laughs> I think we might. We put, so the first thing you said there, yeah, we might be in a simulation. Who knows? Like, it's hard to say, right? I think it, it would be indistinguishable from whatever else you can think about. I mean, you can think about the physical world as a big simulation, but uh, basic particles. I don't know that that can be uh, considered reality uh, for you. I guess so. Right. Yeah, so. I do. I do love. I do love physics, and I, I do thought games myself. For instance, how would you make a simulated life for an AI algorithm? Right. To, you insert it at birth, plot where everything is at the moment it enters the program, and then that sets the parameters of the algorithm parameters for the very input to the AI. That, uh, but you remove some of its uh, ability to perceive the big picture and that makes and effectively removes its long-term memory. Yeah. I mean, I can get into this. I again get deep philosophical things. Uh, but I think the thing that I most want to point out to people is that I try and stay on top of it just because I don't want to turn around and realize I can't talk to anybody because I the tools that everyone's using to interact. Many times have you tried to get off Facebook, but you still have to keep an account because you won't have any social life otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I just don't use it almost anymore. I just have it there because it's because I can communicate with with friends that are far away. Now that I'm not in the Bay Area anymore, mm -hmm. and even after I left Brazil, that's the way that I communicate with some of my my old friends. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't use it anymore. Yeah. Well, that's my kids say, uh, Instagram is where, where it's at. Spook me is, uh, I found out recently I was showing somebody how to manage, uh, one of the people in my neighborhood, how to manage their Google account. Right. And I was like, you want to go in there and maybe turn on, turn off or erase the history of your GPS tracking and daily movement, if that makes you uncomfortable. And I noticed there was an audio button and I was like, what's this? my audio and I went into it and they had recordings of my voice like just and, and, and what surprised me couldn't tell what I was saying but it would still sound like I was saying it on, on there and that that creeped me out because I didn't remember giving authorization for that and I was telling my son this 
the, the computer screen in my truck started uh, what I was saying, but saying it on the, the truck's computer screen and my son pointed at it and we both saw it and looked at each other like, why is it doing that? I'm saying on the, the truck's computer screen and those types of instances and weird things that I can't explain make just creep me out. <laughs> yeah, these these things are too many too many sensors. Is there any stuff. any anything that's creeped you out that you were just like did that really just happen in your field of work? Something that just did not make logical sense. Uh, there's only the logical Things. But you didn't. We didn't see it. Anything? And yeah, I I don't disagree. Uh, but is there anything that's happened with that? Uh, I don't remember now. Any digital ghost Something stories? Something like that happened because, like, I mean, I work with computers, so I understand what they can do, right? So if something like this happens, we're like, oh, those fuckers, like listening. You know, I want to be back. I can be pissed. Google or whoever did that, but it's not going to be something that's going to surprise me much. I know that people use like some shady things to to gather information these days. Yeah, yeah, and like like uh, we had a problem in my detachment where uh, somebody because a bunch of older guys they got like old AOL and CompuServe, not CompuServe, but like is Prodigy still? Right? The addresses and yahoos and i'm like i didn't even know this company still existed and and up their emails and, and it's a giant six seventy five person email chain and they suddenly uh sent viruses to everybody and we, we everybody started getting these different appointment changes and uh meetups on their calendars from like themselves to themselves or from an account uh on Yahoo out of London and we don't have anybody in London panic. So I, I had them send a message out, just don't open anything and call me and I'll give you a passcode we can use to identify that you're real. And then he, he, when he explained it to everybody, he said, somebody is after us. And I'm like, no, they're actually, nobody's probably after us. It's a bot most likely. And he, but he didn't know what a bot was and I had to explain that, but that's the thing that I've worried about is things that get loose and have unintended consequences. And, uh, yeah, lions sleeping with the lamb, brothers and sisters are getting along, cats and dogs getting married. <laughs> <laughs> I finally made you laugh. Uh, it's okay. Cats and dogs can get married. They're cute. They're cute. They're so cute. Oh, my computer, I'm not kidding you, just dimmed and put up the word listening. <laughs> and green howl circle that is like focusing in on me. Hi, computer. I feel like Scotty in uh, Star Trek, uh, the return, the journey home. Computer talking in the house. Is it listening to me now? Can I? Uh, yeah, yes. Can I order something? Yeah, tell it to me. Go ahead. Alexa, order some toilet paper. Alexa, no, this is Apple. Uh, not Apple. This is not Apple. That's too proprietary. I have uh, a HP Windows 10. It's not responding. It's just looking at me. Yeah, those things don't work. It's Unicode, right? 
the, it's ha- the problem is Unicode. That's what gets hacked. If everyone was using open source, it would be too much work. Uh, what do you mean? But that's that's what I always heard is that uh, the reason why hackers go for after Apple or something like is because it's a Unicode that they can break in and, and access people's systems because not everybody uses and understands their system like we used to in the 80s. You know, when they first came out with Windows, like, whoa, I want that program. I want to be able to have access to my own machine myself. Why do I need them to give me access to my machine through a shell? Right? You know, the old nerdy argument. Uh, but open source, everyone has to utilize and customize their basic open source Linux or Red Hat or Ubuntu. and and Thieves always go for the easy job. Who wants to put that much work into it? Why steal the car that's locked when there's one unlocked next to it? Yeah, I think that the, the only thing why open source can potentially be, potentially be safer is that you have more people looking at it. So when you have more people looking at it, somebody can spot and let everybody know, hey, there's a weakness mm. here. Let's fix this. As of uh, in closed code, like like you know, Windows and and the Mac, right? Because just a small amount of people have access to this code. Just a small amount of people are looking at it, and what to do, right? Those things can go unnoticed, and then somebody can find that flaw or that vulnerability, and then start exploiting that their own gain, which is what happens with viruses and with. Right, with, like worms and and all that kind of stuff, right? If somebody exploits some some mistake, but open source code it also has a bunch of mistakes there. It's just that somebody catches that, yeah, I, I know this becomes a problem. Ed and Dan, I'd like to hear your thoughts real quick on this. Is cybersecurity? When I started do, just doing these online classes, I I was shocked at how open everything is it's like everyone's walking around thinking they have clothes on but they only have shades right uh and then that the only reason it seems to me the only reason everybody and all their stuff taken is because everything is so exposed that there aren't enough criminals in existence to be able to get away with all the crime that's possible to do right now so you get lost in the shuffle of what's available crime wise in that you only end up uh, act if you stumble into lanes where malicious algorithms and bots are hanging out, or if they're targeting you directly. Is that true or not true? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think that's true. I think pretty much vulnerable. But there, there needs to be a set of circumstances for you to to become a victim. I think there's a, a lot of people who are victims don't even know. You can have a virus in your computer, and it doesn't do anything bad for you. Oh, right? but like, like there's HPV. A lot of people that there's a lot of people that have viruses in the computer that don't know about, and the viruses are used to send out email. For example, there's a bunch of spammers that you know it's easier for them to all these little uh, computers that are infected, and then they send out a bunch of emails. So then they, it's like they have a, a big farm of machines. And, and they only right. do a little bit. So it only, it 
your computer always slows down a little bit, but not enough for you to go, wait a minute, I can only have 25 windows of adult film on at a time. Something's wrong. <laughs> yeah, something like that. So that's, that's, that's one way that people are getting, you know, you always have to think about the, then like hacking one computer, it's not economically feasible because you're going to hack, what are you going to do when you hack that computer? Right, you're gonna ask the person for money. There's some people that get that that problem, but it's not very economically, I think, viable that that model. That's why not more people are getting hacked. But I think a lot of people are in these small ways. A lot of people are hacked and don't know about it. We, everyone's walking around with a little hacked somewhere yeah. in their in their lives. Yeah. So, and, and this is. Uh, this, I'm going to take this question offline. Hey, Gustavo, uh, I, I could tell in the passion because you put up with my theoretical questions uh, like a champ. Um, maybe it's too far. Uh, and if anybody's still listening right now, uh, just go ahead and subscribe because you know you're hooked. <laughs> uh, uh, I really appreciate you coming on board. I hope it was fun down i'm going to be able to listen uh use all this so i'm going to edit it up a little bit uh, make it a lot more palatable for uh the lay marine who only made a 30 on the uh vocational and occupational battery yeah no thank, thanks for having me on this was fun i hope i hope in some way uh, it's helpful for someone or for this I lost everything i recorded on the computer and forty-five minutes of an interview me and Sabrina had with each other. It can be challenging. It's silly sometimes. One, two, three, four. Okay, that's working. And that's working too. Hmm? How many? How many? How many ones have you done? This is uh. Oh, cool. Uh, and I'm, I'm hoping they'll give me tips. The guys, the, so the podcast community, what they tend to do is. You have them on, okay, especially if you're the new guy, and then they'll have you on and uh, promote you. And that's pretty much just how it goes. Ta-da! Okay, one last recording thing.